Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week we're going to be talking about a different topic within the world of special needs to improve our knowledge, provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand and continual changes, teachers, Senkos and leaders need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives and the Sendcast is the answer. In this episode our guest Wendy Lee, a speech and language therapist with over 30 years experience in a wide range of settings. Um, Wendy is going to be talking about developmental language disorder or DLD, what it is, why it is unknown and to raise awareness. But before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet but you can watch the videos whenever you need to. For more information visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. This week's show is on developmental language disorder. We'll be discussing what DLD is, how to identify children with these difficulties, and getting some top tips. This week, our guest is Wendy Lee. Wendy Lee has been a speech-language therapist for over 30 years with a wealth of experience in a range of settings. She's been the professional director of the Communications Trust until 2015, and she was involved in a range of projects as well as inputting on national policy and research. Wendy is currently director of Lingo, uh, a speech-language therapy company which provides consultancy, professional development resources, and speech and language therapy. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Um, I've never heard of developmental language disorder, or DLD, Yet research says around 7.6% of children have DLD. Why is it so unknown? Um, it's, I think it's unknown because it's quite difficult to identify. So um, we know that lots of children have um, poor language. Some children are coming into school with poor language. Um, people recognise that children maybe don't have the language that they need in order to, to learn and to socialise and to access the curriculum. Um, the difference with DLD or developmental language disorder is that it is a long-term condition. So the language of the children is such that it's not going to go away just by the, the normal stuff that happens in the classroom or in the early years provision or, or indeed in, in secondary school classrooms. Um, the, these children need extra support. Um, and I think it's difficult also because there are a whole, a whole range of issues with terminology around um, speech, language and communication needs. Um, we call things lots of different things. So we talk about children's receptive language or expressive language difficulties. We might talk about children's speech sound disorders. And um, lots of people use different terminology to describe pretty similar things. So recently there was some work done by a group called the Catalyze Group. It was led by um, academics to really think about how we want to describe this condition that has long-term implications for children, this um, difficulty with uh, sort of acquiring language and developing language. And so the group really between them decided that language disorder really sort of emphasised the fact that this was not a typical thing that children went through, it was unusual, and that also um, it had long-term implications. And they described children um, as having language disorder um, associated with other conditions. So if you have autism, for example, you might have language disorder associated with autism because you'll have some social interaction difficulties and you might have other language difficulties. Um, if you have learning difficulties, you might have a language disorder associated with those learning difficulties. 
And as part of that work, they described this this condition um, as having developmental language disorder. So that is that where children have difficulties with their language, regardless of the fact they don't have any other things going on. So they don't have autism and they don't have learning difficulties. They don't have other conditions. It is language disorder that they have. It's a developmental language disorder. They'll have it from birth and they'll continue with that difficulty potentially in the very long term. So some children with the right level of support um, will make really good progress and um, can manage quite well. Other children will have longer term conditions. So there are some children that will go to specialist schools for developmental language disorder because it's so difficult for them to acquire language. It doesn't happen in the same way for those children as it does for others. Um, So I think it's a kind of it's difficult to spot the difference sometimes. You know, if you have a child starting school or if you have a child who's maybe five or six years old and they're not talking, you know, is that because um, they haven't had a good exposure to language in their home environment? Is it because they just have some general language difficulties that will pick up in time? Or do they have a developmental language disorder? And sometimes for teachers and for parents, it's difficult to be able to work out the difference. There is a difference between a delay and that disorder. Yes, so this the Catalyze group didn't really feel that there was a lot of evidence around using the term language delay. So um, uh, particularly, I mean, for, uh, for younger children it's fine, but particularly when children get into primary school, the, the, the term language delay, there's not really much evidence for that. So that what they suggested is that for some children they will have language difficulties, some children will have language disorder associated with another condition, and then there's a group of children with developmental language disorder. And that group of children, it is around 7.6% of the population. So there was a big piece of research done in Surrey called the Scales Research by um, Professor Courtney Norbury and she found this figure was around 7.6% of children with a developmental language disorder. So that's two or three in every classroom. It's a big number. It's a huge number and I think um, not very many people know about it. You know, it is a condition that continues to be misunderstood and continues to be um, misrepresented or misidentified or missed altogether. So and um, certainly my experience in schools is that for instance if you've got a child who is struggling with their literacy they will get a literacy intervention very rarely do people look underneath the surface and think i wonder if language is at the core of this and that, and sometimes that is most definitely the case so children with developmental language disorder will also quite likely to have literacy difficulties because spoken language and written language is literally flip sides of the same coin So if you can't say a sentence, it's really unlikely that you're going to be able to write it down. If you don't understand what somebody is saying to you, you're not going to be able to understand text if you can decode it, if you can read it. So if you think about it in those terms, quite often, if we support the children's language, their literacy skills will will kind of um, benefit from that greatly. So I think it is difficult to to identify, and I think teachers don't get a lot of training about um, typical language development. Lots of, um, it, you know, it's difficult to know where children should be. So, if you think about um, a five-year-old, if they are two years delayed, um, or have a two-year deficit in their language, um, you'll spot that because the difference between a three-year-old and a five-year-old language is pretty obvious. But if you think about a ten-year-old and an eight-year-old it becomes more subtle, more difficult to identify. Um, And so um, 
it's 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 hard it's hard for for teachers to identify and, and sometimes hard for parents to identify so quite often teachers and parents will say to me well I, I know there's something going on but I wasn't quite sure what it was um so it, it yeah it's hard to spot and um the waters around terminology have been muddy for quite a long time so you mentioned that DLD is, is a bit of a new term yes so developmental language disorder um is a recent term um it used to be that children with this type of difficulty were described as having specific language impairment, or SLI. So people might recognise that term. It's a term that speech and language therapists would have used to describe children, and they would describe them as having a primary language impairment, a specific or a primary language impairment. And as I say, the, the, the group of academics and practitioners and, and educational psychologists, a whole range of professionals have got together in the Catalyze group and um, suggested that um, developmental language disorder is a much better term to describe this long-term condition for, that children have. So... You mentioned that delay of a child coming in maybe to reception, maybe the two-year deficit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll sit there and go, actually, they haven't had the exposure to language and things like that. And that could be something that, I want to say the word fixed, but uh, worked on. Mm -hmm. Um, And But other times that is going to be this disorder. Yeah. So is it something that you've got, or it takes a while to identify, is it a delay or a lack of exposure compared to a disorder? Yeah, I mean, again, I think... um it's not as black and white as that. Um, so is. no. So um, you, we do now know that lots of children, particularly in areas of social disadvantage, are coming into school with poor language. So the evidence is suggesting around fifty percent of children in areas of social disadvantage come into school um, without the language that they need in order to learn and socialise. And um, certainly, I think the the kind of description of those children is that um, it's down to exposure at home good conversations at home and the kind of experiences that that children have in the early years so we know for example that if children have books in their home if they go out um, and about and kind of have different experiences as that really enhances their language Um, but that's not to say that that group of children will all have uh, that their language difficulties are all due to to just lack of exposure some of those children will most definitely have developmental language disorder and as I say it's difficult sometimes to tell the difference you know they're not talking are they not talking because they haven't had the right exposure are they not talking because they're shy are they not talking because they've got a language disorder are they not talking because they've got a developmental language disorder so you know it's very difficult to pull that apart and what we know is that if children have difficulties with their language, regardless of the the reason why, um, early identification is absolutely crucial and doing something about it is crucial. So we know that if we can work with these children, if we change the way that we work with these children, that, you know, we can make progress with them. And that has long-term impact for these children. So we know, for example, that children with developmental language disorder there is a very close link to literacy, as I said. So um, uh, there is a kind of pattern for some of these children that their language is poor, their literacy is poor, their access to the curriculum is poor, their learning is therefore poor, and therefore they don't do very well at school. Um, children with DLD do less well than many other children with SEN. Um, and that's shocking in the fact that many of these children don't have any cognitive deficits. Some of them are, are, are sort of... A, um, and not in the average range are a little bit lower than that but actually um, some of these children are in the average cognitive range and yet they do very very badly academically at school and um, we know that it can impact on their social interaction skills so they don't make and maintain friends as well as other children 
um, so that impacts on their mental health. So again, there's that really strong link between social, emotional and mental health and children with developmental language disorder. So the impact of not doing anything is huge and the impact of doing something really makes those children um, enables them to go through school in an, on an easier path than if they don't have that support. So are most children identified early on? So hopefully early on, nice and quick. Well, or does it not always work that way? It doesn't always work that way. That would be lovely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I've been doing this a long time. I can think of children that I can remember one little boy that I worked with who um, got into year five at school. So he's 10 years old and the school referred him because he was um, uh, he was reading um but he wasn't understanding anything that he read and so uh, we went in i went in and did an assessment on this little boy and um what we found was that his understanding of language was down on the first centile which means that he really wasn't understanding as much well he was understanding very little for his age um but he had managed to get to year five with a very low level of understanding of language because actually he was a very bright boy and so he managed to look like he was understanding. He watched his friends. He looked over his shoulder to see what he needed to do. He looked around him and, and worked out the routines. Um, he was a very good footballer, so he had a, a really nice group of friends. He was great at football. So actually, socially, he looked like he was doing okay. Educationally, he looked like he was doing okay. He managed with um, maths because he got number, but he started to fail with his maths because he couldn't understand questions when it came to kind of problem solving so you know in some ways you're getting closer to the sats and you're getting those wordier questions exactly and you're trying to work out what is the question within this text that's where he was failing completely yeah and again with those comprehension english as they sort of got thinking about that that's when he started really to exactly so they thought he was great at reading and he he could read you know, he could decode, he could read beautifully. But if you said to him, you know, tell me about that character, nothing. If you said, why did somebody behave in that way? He really didn't know. Summarise what you've just heard. He really couldn't do that at all. So he'd, he'd managed to get by until year five. Um, other children that I've worked with, I've picked up in secondary schools who um, have been referred. So I worked with one secondary school where they asked me to assess all of their pupils in year eight um, on their special needs register. And we did a, a standardised language assessment of the children in year eight. And all of them, bar two, had severe speech, language and communication needs. Now, obviously, um, you know, we've got children in that, in that cohort who had learning difficulties. We've got children um, with autism. Um, the majority of children with SEMH, social, emotional, mental health, um, bar one, they all had speech, language, and communication needs. It was really severe, really sort of impacting on their learning. And obviously that was kind of causing a lot of frustration for them. The way that they handled that when they couldn't understand something was to get cross or to kind of cause um, a problem in the classroom. They were excluded from the classroom. Many of them were excluded from school. So um, it, it's just a, bit, a vicious circle. So ideally we identify these children early. Um, but I think there is... Um, something to be said for continuing that process all the way through school they don't look the same all the way through their school journey you know a younger child um, with language difficulties or language disorder or developmental language disorder will look very different from a child in the middle of their primary years and very different again from a child in the middle of their secondary years so 
we really can't take our eye off the ball because these children are con- uh, sort of falling through the net as it is. Um, and as I said, there is evidence that if we can support them in the right way, they do benefit. Is there a sort of situation where schools or teachers may think if there was a problem, it would have been picked up already? So they kind of get a bit complacent. That would have been picked up in early years. Nothing's been picked up, so there's not really a problem. I'll just keep going and not maybe thinking there could still be a problem which is unidentified. I think it's... Um I think it's the nature of schools that the focus as you go further up the school is on often literacy. So it's on reading and writing, it's on mathematics. And um, as I said, really, teachers don't have a lot of um, training themselves around what typical language development looks like. They don't have a lot of training on how to spot children who might have some difficulties with their language. And I mean, I think definitely into secondary school, because most of the children can talk, um, you, you kind of don't think about it as a as a as a problem. You know, you, you're thinking about if you're a maths teacher, maths. If you're a science teacher, science. You know, you're not really thinking about. Well, I wonder if the reason that this child is messing about in the back of the classroom is because they've got a developmental language disorder. Because you've probably never heard of it. Right. And so, I think there is a massive um, piece of work to do around raising awareness, um, thinking about that group of children with special educational needs as um you know they're not a homogenous group they're all very very different and definitely that applies to children with developmental language disorder too you know they're very different they present in very different ways um and their language they just don't learn language in the same way as other children you know it needs to be taught just like you need to teach children equations you need to teach these children how to learn their language and how to um how to store new words and how to put a sentence together and how to summarise complex information. You know, that's the stuff that we all take for granted. I do find it interesting. My daughter went through the SATs in year six a number of years ago and it was a new SATs and there's a past progressive and all these stuff. And I'd never heard of this stuff and I'm learning it going, wow, I don't know why you need that. And then I actually find myself rewriting sentences based on helping my daughter with her year six homework. I found that quite interesting. (laughs) So you've mentioned... um, that the use of language, so the vocal language, if they're struggling mm. with that, they're going to struggle with the uh, written language as well. Are there other any other key indicators? Yeah, I mean, definitely. The thing that I think is useful, as I said, for, for teachers and for parents is to know what typical language development looks like because then at least you can kind of think, actually, this is the kind of thing that they should be doing at age 5, age 6, age 10, age 15, whatever it might be, and... I'm worried that my child or the child in my care isn't isn't doing that. So that's the very first step is just to kind of have some notion of that and try and keep that at the forefront of your mind. Um, I think the other thing is to not stick language in a kind of um, homogenous group. It's to think about language in its components. So is the child um, understanding what I'm saying to them? If I put a long sentence together or a longer instruction, can they follow that? Um, are they be are they able to understand and learn new words? Do they have a real depth of understanding of words? Can they put a sentence together that's that makes sense, that's kind of complex, that's got nice joining words in between? Um, can they socialise appropriately and with their peers? Do they find that easy? If they don't, then what's going on? And is their speech clear? Can you understand what they're saying to you? Do they avoid situations where um, clearly communication is going to be an important aspect? So there are some sort of key indicators to look out for in that way. 
the other thing to look out for is that almost symptomatic. So are they reading and writing? Um, are they following uh, classroom instructions? Do you see any uh, kind of worries around their mental health, their self-esteem? You know, is behaviour an issue for them? So looking at kind of symptomatic things like that, but also asking questions around um, the underlying language of these children because um, the way they learn language is just unusual. It's They don't do it in the same way as other children. I suppose with that behaviour, it is looking at when are they misbehaving? Is it when we always do this, causes this, misbehaving? It's, it's a distraction, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I work with children who've got <laughs> just the most wonderful range of distraction techniques as soon as you ask them to do something that's going to really challenge them in terms of their language. So, you know, they haven't got a pencil, they need to go to the loo, they've got to, they have to, you know, rub something out. They've got the, you know, the whole range, a whole gamut of stuff that goes on. Um, and sometimes children don't have the language to talk about the difficulties that they have. So one of the things that we work on a lot with children with developmental language disorder is, um, particularly with those who've got difficulties understanding, is supporting them to recognise when they do and don't understand. So it's called comprehension monitoring. It's about if somebody says something to you, do you recognise whether or not you do or don't understand? Because sometimes children don't even know the difference between that. They almost get used to you know, words going past them and not understanding so it's a really important skill to be able to know whether you've understood something or not and then to be able to do something about it when you don't and that's a very good strategy for those children to learn because then at least they can say actually I don't understand that or you said that too quickly for me I couldn't follow it or there's just too much information there can you just give it to me in chunks and so teaching the children and it's 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 as I say, it's like teaching equations or teaching, you know, the fire of London. You have to teach them it because they're not going to pick that up on their own. Okay, so you've given us ways of identifying it. What's the next steps? Well, the next steps is to get some support. Um, well, assessment, really. So um, if uh, teachers or parents are worried that their child might have a developmental language disorder, um, you know, try and get some information about it. So there are a couple of websites that are really excellent in terms of information that they give about DLD. Um, NAPLIC is an organisation that uh, for professionals who work with children who've got um, developmental language disorder and, and, and other types of language disorders and language difficulties. Um, they have a whole page just dedicated to information about DLD. Um, they have a lot of academics involved, lots of very kind of expert practitioners and their information is good and, and robust. So, you know, just get a little bit of background information about the condition so that you kind of inform yourself a little bit more. Um, if you have concerns, then a speech and language therapy assessment is um, in, very important. Um, I know that services are stretched at the moment, um, but... Um, my plea to people would be to please still refer children. You know, I'm working with some schools who say, actually, we've stopped referring because we've got to wait so long or um, actually because we know they won't be seen. But actually, it kind of perpetuates the issue. I think if therapy services know that they're being called on, they've got a really strong argument to take to their commissioners to say, we do need this service. Look at all these people that need it from us. So do refer the children. Um, try and give as much information as you can about the child in your referral both in terms of their language but also other aspects of their development the types of things that they're struggling with and um, many speech and language therapy departments have a call-in service so you can have a, a, a you know a call 
So once all of that happens and the child is assessed, the speech and language therapist should be able to give you an idea of the strengths. And many of these children do have strengths. Um, as do most children, you know, there's areas that they really struggle with, um, but there are areas that they um, are better at. And so they will help um, schools to kind of um, identify the strengths and also the areas of needs for each of the children. Um, then it really is a case of uh, dependent on the assessment, what happens next. So some children will receive speech and language therapy. So uh, when I first started out many years ago, I worked in a language resource uh, provision. So we had uh, eight children in the language resource and many of those children would have speech and language therapy every day. Um, when our uh, resource provision closed down, those children went into mainstream and we were still able to provide uh, daily or three times a week speech and language therapy. I think that's quite unusual now. Um, but the progress that those children made was incredible because we can work alongside teachers and uh, really well-trained support staff and parents. And together, um, it really does make a difference for those children. So... Um, speech and language therapy whatever the local services will provide and um, you know what we know now is that working in collaboration with parents and with teachers and with other members of the the community and the school team um, really does make that big difference so it's not just about um, sitting with a child on a one-to-one and you know taking them off somewhere and doing some therapy it really is about okay what does the whole school look like in terms of its support for children's communication? Are people aware? Are there visual support in, in place to kind of enable children to access the curriculum? Um, are there other strategies in place that enable the child to say when they don't understand or that could teachers kind of simplify their language when they need to to make sure the children can access? Um, are there things in place to really support the child to develop their language? So it's that kind of... Um, you know what's happening in the classroom are there targeted interventions and support needed or does the child need a kind of speech and language therapist working with other members of the team to support them so you said um getting the assessment and there could be a long way to that depending on the area and various other factors mm-hmm. but it's also it's a, it's a bit of a spectrum it's not like here are five things you can do that will help every child it's going to be very individualized and very specific to each child well i think there are some things that work for everybody so um on most children so i think just being aware (laughs) you know when we talk to children with developmental language disorder and we ask them um you know what works for you so a couple of years ago i don't know if you've heard about the burko review so 10 years ago this is big review of uh, services for children uh, that john burko did and and found that um things were great so children were being misidentified services weren't kind of um there weren't enough services for these children etc and then um a couple of years ago 2018 they did a 10 years on review and part of that review um we talked to some children with um language difficulties language disorder developmental language disorders and although some of them did have quite specific things that they found useful there were some general um general principles that the children shared so it was things like um give us time so if you think about if you've got any difficulties with your language if you've got a developmental language disorder the time it takes to process that information is longer usually than it would be for children with typically developing language and the time it takes to formulate a sentence if that's a difficulty for you again it's that extra time and so just giving children some extra time can make a big difference and all of the children I think without exception 
say to me, the thing that makes the biggest difference is when people understand the nature of my condition. So they don't think, oh, he's just being naughty or he just can't be bothered. You know, if I had a pound for every time somebody described a child with DLD as lazy, I would be a very wealthy woman. These children are not lazy. You know, they they have a real difficulty with learning their language. And so understanding that, you know, um, the kids say things like, if when people are kind, that's really nice. (laughs) uh, Which, you know, yeah. Um, Lots of the children will say things like... um, um, if I'm if I'm learning something, so I worked with a little boy um, while the Burka review was going on, and I kind of said to him, "Okay, what what works well for you?" And he said, um, "When you link things that I know with things that I find difficult." So he found maths difficult. He couldn't. His uh, teachers and support had worked for weeks trying to get him to understand what a triangle was, the nature of a triangle. Now, this is a little boy in year four at the time, so he kind of should have known what a triangle was at that point. Um, but he was extremely knowledgeable about dinosaurs, or in fact, about all animals. He knew what a triceratops was. He had a lots of in-depth knowledge about it. He knew they had three horns, so we attached that, I, that idea, that notion, that concept to triangles, and he got it within minutes. Yeah. So he sort of said, actually, when you do that, it, it really, really helps. And he keeps, or his granddad keeps budges, and so when they did maths work, they attached birds and fish and things to his maths concepts, and again, it, it really helped him. So making the intangible tangible for these children is really important, trying to make things concrete because they struggle with... Um, the kind of more abstract elements of language. And he also said things like um, using pictures, making it visual, because he will remember much more easily if you give him a picture of something that attaches to, again, an idea or a concept or um, any work that he's doing. So, you know, he just came up off the top of his head with those things. And most of the children will have that, you know, chunk things for me, give me things in bite-sized pieces that I can process check out that I've understood. You know, that's really important if you've got a child with DLD in your classroom or if you if, if there's a child with DLD at, at home, just check that they've understood what you've said because they might look like they have, they might nod in all the right places, but actually have they really understood? And that's that's really important. Have conversations, you know, it's hard, but give them some time. They need to practice. You know, it's a skill like any other. They just need to practice those skills. I remember both my daughters struggled with the concept of fractions at the beginning. Mm, don't we all? So that everyone's taught that if you, divide, you, you can't divide uh, five by two, it's two remainder one. Mm. So I said, fine, I'm going to give you, you and your sister five chocolate bars. Are you going to leave one out? No, I'll put it in half. It's like, right, say that again in your head. Yeah. And they kind of knew the answer, but it's, again, it's relating it to what they know. Exactly. To that, pe- that question on the piece of paper, which makes no sense to them. And they yeah. go, half. Oh, yeah. Okay, if I get a cake and there's four of us, what are you going to do? I cut yeah. it into court. You can just see the you light bulb. Just the bowl. penny drop. Yeah, definitely. And it is. It's finding that thing they can relate to and making it easier. And I suppose, yeah, it is just finding what works for you. Mm, definitely. And it's a reasonable adjustment. Yes, it is reasonable adjustment. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the children, they're just a joy. There's... um. There's a video that we did when we were at the Communication Trust um, where I basically interviewed um, some children with, it wasn't called DLD then, but they had DLD, um, to just 
uh, we didn't ask them about their difficulties. We didn't ask them about um, what they um, what they needed or what they wanted. We just asked them about their day. Uh, you know, what do you like doing? What have you been doing at school? That kind of thing. And it's really clear how some of those children struggled to um, know where to start in their responses to kind of organise how they're going to explain something to you. Um, to understand sometimes what you were saying to them, there was a little boy with very um, uh, with disordered speech, so he was very unclear in and how he was uh, uh, talking. So, um, but it just shows how different they all are, but also how much they've all got to say. You know, just because you find language difficult, just because you have a language uh, a language disorder or a developmental language disorder, doesn't mean to say you haven't got an awful lot to say. And lots of the children I work with have got an awful lot to say. They really do. They're just a joy. Um, but language is so tricky for them. And, you you know, you don't want to disadvantage them, to turn them off from being able to communicate because it's hard. You know, you want to support them through it. On a previous podcast with Aaron Smith in, and mm. he's uh, really dyslexic, and he's saying he loves audiobooks. And it's kind of that thing you're going, you kind of assume that because you're dyslexic, you probably hate language and words and rooks and reading mm. and all that. But actually, he loves books and things like Audible and the, mm. is a nice way of him actually listening to books. Yeah. And he can access that. And again, it's probably just because you've got a communication disorder doesn't mean you haven't got an opinion, nothing to say. Um, and that's just as valid. Yeah, I can guarantee that they have definitely. <laughs> They're like all children, you know, that some of the children I've worked with have been quite quiet and, you know... It, others have been you know the center of attention and uh, and yeah just have lots of opinions about lots of things and they're just individuals like everybody else you know you get the whole range of personalities in in uh, children with developmental language disorder but yeah it's important not to assume because you find something difficult that you don't that you don't want to do it so coming to the end of the podcast so i'm guessing the five things uh i'm going to say five i'll see if we can get to five okay is be aware Yes. Um, so thinking about it, um, if you do think, refer. Mm-hmm. Don't put that off. Um, and I suppose that even at that moment, you can still talk to the child and find out what helps them. Definitely. I think that's something that people don't think to do sometimes. And it can be... Some, some children are incredibly um, insightful about what works for them. Some of them you have to work quite hard to get that information from them because they sometimes tell you what they think you want to hear yeah so um again on the uh the the burko website that i spoke about earlier there's some guidelines there on um how to kind of talk with children how to get their opinions how to encourage them to participate and tell them what works for them so yeah i've interrupted you five sorry um no no it's great no number four i'm gonna run out of fifth one you might have to number four is then where they are struggling is that relating so rather than keep going the same route Try a very different tactic. Try something else. Yeah, and again, there are, um, if you go onto the NAPLIC website, there's lots of information there. But really, if they have got developmental language disorder, conversations with your speech and language therapists, and between you, you will work out what works for the children. It's not that the therapists have got all the answers, not that the teachers or the parents have all the answers, but actually between us, um, we come up with things that will work you know i know a lot about language but i don't know a lot about your little boy you know tell me and actually between us we can work out what what strategies are going to work best and sometimes you have to try things and they might not work and you try something else um it's it's a kind of ongoing um work in progress really 
And um, I actually haven't got a fifth one. Well, I can tell you a fifth one. Excellent. Sometimes children need speech and language therapy. So, you know, sometimes just they need a speech and language therapist to sit and work with them and help them and um, develop their skills. So definitely, again, in my experience, the children that I get to work with directly, I can see the progress. I can see on a sort of weekly, fortnightly, monthly basis, the children just make good progress. Um, And that's sometimes not a very popular thing to say. Um, But actually, it is that approach of um, collaboration. Sometimes they need a therapist, sometimes they don't. They might need a period where actually, you know, therapy services come back off for a bit and it's, uh, you know, what's working in school is working really well. They might then need it later on. It's not a kind of straightforward journey. Cool. We got to five. We got to five. That was good. Um, So thank you for coming on the show today. Um, I found it really interesting. Um, I always find that um, with very different areas, everything's still the same. Mm. It's generally ask how you can help them. It's be aware. And it's all the same sort of tips for everything. But also it is, again, reinforcing that the four broad areas of need, how they are completely linked. Mm. So communication traction will often cause issues of social and emotional mental health, and that's all going to have effects on their learning. And schools actually need to be much more aware of the other areas of need, not just keep hammering away on the reading, the writing and the maths. Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is for schools at at that senior level to know that you will have, you know, two or three children in every classroom that will have a developmental language disorder and those children will not do well when they get to the end of primary. So planning for that in reception is far better than kind of worrying about it when they get into upper key stage two. So it's just thinking about as a school, how do we support communication generally? And then how do we support our children who've got developmental language disorder more specifically? And I suppose following on from that is when you do have that disruptive behaviour, kind of ignore the behaviour, what was the cause? Yeah. Is it every Tuesday at this time? Is it every time? It's, it's looking past the behaviour and finding out the cause and yeah. working on that. And then the behaviour will improve yeah i think it's also looking out for those children who are just quiet and anxious because they're the ones you'll miss yeah (laughs) so the ones who are showing how frustrated they are you know asking the question could it be that they don't understand or that they they have got some other they've got some language difficulties or language disorder um but watch out for your quiet ones it's always it's, it's hard i think um one of the things i want is when people's people's change is another mm. one Mm. so um, they might be doing really well and then they change they Mm. go quiet or they go the other way yeah yeah. why is that yeah i mean we know that um, children with developmental language disorders are um, picked up um, much more in primary school than they are in secondary so when you look at the national statistics the numbers are much higher for children with slcn is is how it's described in the school um Plask data, um, so much higher numbers of children with SLCN in primary than there is in secondary, um, and there has been some research done around you know why that is and what that looks like. But that's probably another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to be putting all the links uh, Wendy's mentioned in the show notes. So the Royal College Speech Language Therapist, uh, NAPLIC, um, there's a website called DLD and Me, and so many more. So you're going to find the show notes on our website www.thesendcast.com thank you for listening to the show if you haven't subscribed already you can subscribe by going to our website www.thesendcast.com and you can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news alternatively you can follow us on twitter at the sendcast on facebook the sendcast on instagram the sendcast 
or on LinkedIn, just search for The Sendcast. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, let us know your thoughts, uh, suggest topics or anything else, uh, please send an email to hello at The Sendcast. If you'd like to get in contact with Wendy, uh, you can go to the Lingo website, which is her company, which is www.lingospeech.co.uk, or you can follow Wendy on Twitter at lingo underscore speech. Um, and if you uh, would like to email Wendy, you can email her at wendy at lingospeech.co.uk. Um, so if you've enjoyed the Sendcast, um, why not look into the virtual Send conference? This is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by B-Square, but it covers all aspects of SEND. And what makes this conference different is that it's accessed across the internet. The conference runs twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with each session having something you can take away. You can buy tickets for future events or past events. The videos are always available. The cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person, and the videos are always available. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we are offering you a 10% discount just to use the code SENDCAST10, with no space. So thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye.